Oncology Systems Limited are the leading provider of radiotherapy ancillary equipment in the UK and Ireland. Serving the community for over 22 years, we pride ourselves on exceptional service and quality products. Please take a moment to visit our website www.osl.uk.com and take a look at our product lines, which include macromedics for patient immobilisation and IB dosimetry for all your radiotherapy quality assurance needs. We are more than happy to take your questions, so please do get in touch via our website or email inquiry at osl.uk.com and one of our specialist team will be available to assist you. Hello everyone and welcome to Lab Chat. My name is Andrew Hanson. I'm joined by my co-host Joe McNamara. Hello. We have another guest here at UKIO. Would you like to introduce yourself please? My name's Bronwyn Hilda. I'm a radiation therapist, correction yeah, therapeutic no, radiographer. You can absolutely, you can absolutely um, use your radiation <laughs> I'm the chief radiation therapist at the Royal at the WP Holman Clinic in Hobart in Tasmania but I am also the past president of the Australian Society of Medical Imaging and Radiation Therapy as of one month ago. So we should kind of curtsy in your honour, shouldn't we? <laughs> Not anymore, no. A month ago, yes, I would have insisted on it, but no. Um. So, the big question, obviously, Ralph Chat is now listened to all over the world. What are the variations from your perspective that you see between, say, diagnostic therapeutic in the UK versus Australia? It's a different landscape. Um, because you have the NHS, which is pretty much everywhere, we have universal healthcare as well in public hospitals, but we have a big private sector as well, a very big private sector. Um, so I think our processes are slightly different in terms of what the patient care pathway might be. Um, in speaking to lots of radiographers here, I think we all share the same focus on the patient, I guess, is, is the most important thing. Um, it is different though. There are little tiny tweaks of things that I go, why did they do it that way? But I'm sure that you would do the same if you came to us. Yeah. It's interesting that you say about the private sector because I think it was last month that it was reported the, the largest increase in access to private healthcare in the UK that there's ever been previously and I'm sure that's as a result of backlog in services. The same thing's happening in Australia where um, you know colonoscopies didn't happen and biopsies didn't happen and so there's th stuff being farmed out to the private sector so that that work gets done. I do wonder why we don't just employ more people in the public sector so it's done that way myself but anyway. <coughs> that we can probably do <laughs> yeah, we, we, won't, we won't do health policy yeah. Why did you get into it? Um, kind of by accident. <laughs> um, so many people say. Well, no, I did a I did a bachelor of science, and I got to the end of it. And I thought, oh, I don't really want to do this. And then I saw an ad for a therapy radiographer, and at that time, because I'm quite old as well, it was a cadetship, so you worked full time, studied part time. Um, I had an uncle who had. Uh, larynx cancer probably 10 years before that so I knew very little about it but I loved it from the very beginning because you've got all that maths and science and biology which is cool but you've got all the people things as well you know you get you get to take care of people at a time in their life which is probably some of the most devastating things that can happen and remembering that I started a long time ago that was back in the days when our survival statistics were not so good so you were curing people or helping people. What we have now with all the new immunotherapies and 
Sabre and all the things that we have now is we're, we're caring for people for longer. Um, we've got patients who are coming back for their eighth and ninth course of treatment because what we've done before works so well they're still here. And that's fabulous, but it brings its own challenges. But at the end of the day, you've still got people that you're taking care of. Love it. So I know you've worked together as part of LT RAP, which yep. is around advancing practice. What's, what do you see as kind of the situation in Australia around advancing and, mm. of course, the enhanced practice? Yeah, I'm not, I haven't got quite got my head around enhanced yet. Um, Again, I can talk about it from two perspectives, um, the diagnostic side and the therapy side. I think in the therapy side, we work much better as a team and we see each other more often and we interact more. Um, so I think we've got good working relationships and we've got some good champions in terms of moving that forward. Um, probably the most successful um, AP in Australia is Mary Job. Um, because she had a great champion, she had a great team around her, she had great foundational work done so that she could move to that point. Alison in Sydney. Um, we haven't had a lot of success in other areas, so there's a couple of people who were um, accredited by ASMERT who, when new teams moved in, didn't get the same support, so that's difficult. In diagnostic, it's quite a different landscape, um, which is quite sad because the opportunities are there to make the path for the patient so much more streamlined. Um, so we're chipping away at it. We just got our second AP, the first um, diagnostic, the first was in CT, um, and the second one is in interventional. So we're chipping away at it. Um, got a really enthusiastic advanced practice panel or reference group who are moving things along. We're just amending, they're just amending, not we're, um, the ASMERT pathway. Um, to make it a bit more transparent for people as they move through that. I think the biggest hurdle we have is the, the understanding that an advanced practice radiation therapist or an advanced practice radiographer is not just a clinical expert. That all of those other domains are so important. Um, you, it, you know, you can be great at your job but you might not be teaching others, you might not be having any, conducting any research about what you're doing in your job to make sure that it's the best thing you can do. Um, it's hard from a manager's perspective, isn't it? And, you know, I know Nathan and I have long discussions about this, but as a manager, you, know, you want experts in the job that they're doing and the service that they're providing, but it's giving people the opportunities to engage in multiple pillars. And I think it's really hard. And, and it's in an in a, in environment of constraint, yeah. and we talk about this all the time, you know. My department at the moment has got five, we're small, we've only got 21 FTE, and there are five people off sick today. So... They're missing you here in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, my, yeah. So, you know, in that, in that, if you've got something, you know, you've scheduled that you're going to give someone three hours of time to do a particular project, they can't do it. You need the feet on the floor, so... Not from what I'm hearing, no. Um, what we do have is a ton of new centres opening up, so that that changes the workforce. Um, 
don't say that because then people from here are going to move over. <laughs> but, but we, we have a workforce issue. <laughs> but that's what's happening in every country. So if you look at it, the UK is advertising for health professionals to come to the UK. Australia, we're just going out with this big roundabout. I mean, the first time I worked in the UK was when you guys were really, really short. So you know, no worries over there. I go. Then I went to Canada because they were really short. And but don't you think that's actually a good thing because? You know, as part of RadChat, we are massive advocates for globalisation of healthcare and making sure we address health inequalities and things. But I think you get a very different perspective on being able to see healthcare differently from different definitely I, I still remember my first day working in the NHS going why would they do it that way because where I had trained there was one way to, that you did it and that was the only right way to do it so then when my first day was like why are they doing that how does that work so but no it's it, it's good to go and work in different places and see different things but I'm just concerned about I hate that word. I've heard it all conference capacity. Um, but from my point of view, I think the answer is, with a bit of a Pollyanna going on here, plan for it to happen. Plan that three-hour spot. If it doesn't happen, reschedule it and just keep going till you can get there. Because one day, it'll be a happy day. Everybody will come to work. You'll be able to do that thing. Um, if, you, if you just keep going, oh, woe is us, we can't do it, we don't have this, we don't have that, you will never get there. So. You talked about kind of capacity and not just being a clinical practitioner, so I want to be an advanced practitioner, but I'm pretty much expected to be 200% clinical while doing everything else. I, I mean, yes, we talk about capacity, patients need to be treated, they need to be reviewed, but how then, with the, the sickness of problems, lack of staff, how do you give people the time to do it? I find, yeah, that's really difficult. I, I guess um, to try and look for ways within what you're clinically doing, which which will lead to that. I'm trying to. Um, so one of the things that I do is um, an audit of wait times, and what came out of that, looking at it, was I'm not sure. If, if this is happening because there's a, a difference in the doctor's schedule or if there's a, a time you know on the day of the week that this happens so I started to look at that as a way to go forward for a little research project you know do we change the the time uh, the, the the slots that the doctors have for their contouring will that make a difference so in terms of treatment review is there a is there a set of patients that you're seeing a particular thing happen on a particular day like do you do your skincare checks on a Monday or do you do them on a Friday? Or, or you notice that every Monday when patients come in, there's a particular thing that they can... So you still end up doing an awful lot of it in your own time, but it's looking for something that you can use so that it's it's not a, an extra burden on top. Does that, make, does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's synergistic of a manager to go, okay, if your area of specialism is Do something that will fundamentally improve patient experience and then they don't have to come back because, I don't know, 
from even from a psychological perspective, they do supported or you know, there's so many things that patients will potentially have as a long term consequence of having cancer treatment. Mm. Um, but I do wonder whether it's it's just making those links of you as you said to what it is that you're doing. The other thing is radiation therapists are caring people, so they <laughs> we are relied upon to keep doing that in the face of everything else and sometimes you have to recognize where those boundaries might be it's pretty tough but I, and the other thing is I think for most people who um, have a research interest or an idea we end up doing a lot of it in our own time anyway because that's the kind of people we are <laughs> yeah so one of the things you probably I'm going on a tangent here. No, no, um, <laughs> one of the things that I'm quite passionate about and what I was hoping to achieve during my presidency was we started um, a program about person-centred care. So we had had our first workshop for training the people who are going to go out into Australia and deliver person-centred care. And that was in February 2020. Guess what happened the following month? So... But that was we not. Can't say, we can't say the C word. No, but that was not just about taking care of our patients. It's also about taking care of our people, because I think in all the you know we're putting our patients first all the time. We're not necessarily taking good care of each other. And in a time of chronic stress, as the last couple of years have been, people are not as I hate the word resilient as well. So I'm really keen now that we're allowed to travel again. Well, briefly. Um, <laughs> that we can get something like that going because I think we need to think about the patients, the people, the profession as one thing. It's my thoughts. So we were talking about kind of your areas that you specifically like and are passionate about, and you mentioned mentorship. So you know, in your eyes, what is mentorship? Why is that important as part of our profession? I think this is something I've been reflecting on recently um, and about I guess part of it is how could I be a good mentor when I was a junior radiographer in the department I worked in there were some people who were technically brilliant and I thought wow I really want to be that there were some people who were really good with patients I really want to there were some people who were just not very good at all <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but for me what I what I was doing was looking for the traits in my seniors and the peers to, to try and be the best that I could be. Going forward from that it was about making sure that I was available to people if they wanted to have some time to you know to do some investigation or um, had ideas about what might be a good technique. So being open to providing advice um, and support to people going forward. I've had some fabulous mentors. Um, when I came into the president's role, one of the previous presidents was just fabulous um, in terms of providing me support. And I go, I don't know what to do about this. Um, they were a radiation therapist as well. And fortunately, I had good contacts in the diagnostic world. So I have this diagnostic you know, imaging situation arise. And I go, okay, right. So I now know a lot more about that world than I did. But mentorship's more than just about providing advice it's about providing the support when I was writing my thesis um, a couple of 
academics in Australia provide a really good support to me, but encouragement at the same time. So if something, one of them in particular is uh, very frank, and if I had written something that she thought wasn't up to scratch, she would tell me in no uncertain terms, but follow it up with, and I think this is what you could do. Um, so it's support, encouragement, advice, um, because if we, if we do that as a, as a profession, then we're all going to move forward, which can only be good. Do you think it is about mentorship or is it also coaching? Because there is, there is obviously a big difference between being a mentor and being a coach and coaching people. And sometimes I think that as a profession, we're used to providing mentorship, but it's almost that additional level of coaching mm -hmm. that actually really does change you as a practitioner. Yeah. I think part of that is though identifying if you're not the person who should be doing the coaching. Yeah. So um, that's hard as well. I... Hmm. <laughs> coaching is a difficult term, I think. So I did a coaching course at Duan uh, when I was a band six radiographer. And then when I tried to put it into practice, two people told me I was patronising, so I never did it again. <laughs> Really? I was like, I'm just trying to help because of the mentorship I think I had from certain people, as you've alluded to, you find the good things in people when you look at some of the bad things and I definitely don't want to do that. So then you try and role model it, but trying to coach or be more than a mentor, some people don't take it well. So it's different, I don't know, that, that's do you know a difficult what, though, but in the well. corporate world, so my husband is very corporate through and through. He, when I talk about the NHS, he just doesn't have anything. He's like, why do it like that? It's corporate. But um, it's really interesting how coaching is pivotal in the corporate world. Like, you get that a lot. But the corporate world's also cutthroat, which is yeah. not what we're about. We're more about caring. But we, we are caring, but actually... We need to be more cutthroat? Maybe we need to be. Like, I'm being controversial, but maybe that's where, where sometimes we struggle, because we are so... We, we were having this discussion in the context of student assessments. Yeah. So students who come on PRAC, so we have, um, we're really fortunate we've got a national assessment form. So every university uses the same form, yeah. which is great. That is amazing. Only in, <laughs> only in radiation therapy, not in diagnostic, yeah. but there, there is a project to do that. But it, it's helped enormously because oh. the expectations are, are pretty clear. Um, different programs, are, you know, run different ways. But, so we have this weekly... Um, feedback with the, the student and the mentor on the wherever whatever section they're in. But having that discussion um, at the RT staff meeting about you need to give them good constructive feedback. Don't come out on week four and go, they just didn't talk to the patient. In week one, if you see them not talking to the patient, you say, you know, you just need to talk a little bit more to the patient. But if you have a student who is a dud, you are not doing them or anyone else a favour if you don't tell them. Some people are just not meant to be RTs. Um, so giving them, you know, passing them or giving them a, a report that says that they're suitable is not helpful. But that's part of that. Oh, we don't want, we don't want to discourage them. So. But that's what you're saying. You're saying we're caring. Joe's saying we need to be more cutthroat sometimes. <laughs> I agree. I think some of the best negative feedback I had has made me a better practitioner because I realised, yes, actually, you're right. That's a horrible trait. I don't know why I did that. But it needed to be delivered in the right way. It wasn't, but <laughs> it helped. But, That's the main thing for me. But, uh, but so many people don't... So 
you looked at it, wasn't delivered well, you looked at it, you thought about it. That shows maturity. It's the people who get the negative and then, you know, yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. or and, and So I always, I try very hard to deliver a message in a way that will help the person, yeah. particularly around, we've got a new planning system, so huge huge change in our department new planning system after 20 years of the same planning system and it's been really tough and a lot of the junior staff that was the system they had at university they're all over it but the senior staff it hasn't it's been a real change and so getting saying to people you know I know this is different I know it's tough I know it's different remember your core planning principles and how you do things but you know don't beat yourself up when you don't know something say you don't know something and there'll be people around you to help but we also have, because of our jobs, we have such high expectations of ourselves. Yeah. We've got to get it right. We've got to get it right first time. Um, it, changing that culture is hard in terms of everybody working together to support each other. So if you if you leave a, a bolus off a breast plan, it doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. It means what steps in that process where should the bolus have gone on? Is there anything that we can do in a process that will make sure that that happens when it should have happened? And sometimes it's as simple as adding a tick box to the questionnaire. Yeah. Uh, well, I know we could definitely talk all day, more or less about absolutely everything. So yes. thank you so much for coming no, on. Thank you. It's hugely appreciated. And yeah, let's hope that as a result of LT RAP and conferences like I'm really excited about it going to Singapore. I know. So for anyone out there, shouldn't do a plug, name it's gonna eye roll at me, but LT RAP is going to Singapore. I, I think that might be an exclusive. Is that is that even public yet? Uh, yes. it is, is, I it think. Public? Okay, that's fine. It's public now, Joe. I was gonna say the work that they've been doing in Singapore has just been so cool. But again, they've got in their new centre they're gonna have twenty one Linux and two protons and you know, you can build in all that stuff. And LTVAP will feature in a clinical department. It's It's been decided. Exclusive. All right, James. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you.